Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. Here we go. So we have been, the past uh, month or so, uh, we have been talking about uh, good ideas. But really, what we've been talking about is God's way of, of flourishing, his pathway to a full life. That's been the, the subtext. And, and to do that, really, these, these good ideas are God's way of flourishing, or what we often think of as rules. Not arbitrary rules like the rules we have in soccer or basketball, but the rules that God gives us to keep us alive is rules for flourishing. I didn't, I didn't set out to do it this way, but it turns out that the Ten Commandments offers a pretty good beginning for a lot of these. So we found ourselves looking at some of the Ten Commandments. And we're finishing all of this up today so we can launch into something new on Easter. And I thought we would go back to the Ten Commandments because four of the ten all revolve around one important idea. And it's a good idea. Let me read it to you to set the stage. Here's what it says, Exodus chapter 20. This is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. So this is the first. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And then he gives the first of the ten. You must not have any other God but me. Hmm. No other God but him. Next verse gives us another one. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in heavens or on the earth or in the sea. That's the second command. Down a few more verses in verse 7, it gives us another one. Same theme. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Man, another one. Very next verse, one more. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Seventh day, a day for rest and a day for worship. Don't misuse the Lord's name, or as we learned it in the King James, uh, not to take the Lord's name in vain. You must not make yourself an idol or any other image, and you must not have any other God but me. So in one way or another, all of these uh, verses, all of these commands, all of these good ideas come back to one good idea. Worship. So I thought we would finish this series on the idea of 
Worship. God's good idea of worshiping him. After all, when he wanted to give us one command, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. He said, there's a second part to that that looks like loving your neighbor, but the first part was love God, all your mind, all your heart, all your soul. It is woven throughout all of scripture, this good idea. 40% of the 10 commandments revolve around the worship of God. Worship. That's a good idea, but, but it doesn't exactly fit. And, and, and maybe you're already sensing that because through all of this, we've been setting up this idea that, that rules, stop, don't do that, are good ideas. In other words, they're not just arbitrary, like, oh, you have to bounce the ball every third step. They're not like that. They're God's rules meant to give us a full life. So if you do these things, it leads to a life of fullness, a life of flourishing. So maybe you're asking yourself, well, how does worship fit into that idea? How is worship a good idea for me? How does it lead to flourishing for me? Isn't worship about what we give to God? And it is. But it turns out that this idea about what we give to God is so a part of our nature that it's one of the good ideas we have to learn to live out if we want to follow Christ. So the story of the triumphal entry is a great illustration of this. I want to go there and read you a piece of it Palm Sunday, Matthew chapter 21. Here's how it begins, because it gives us a, a way of answering, why is this a good idea? What does worship do? Here's what it says, Matthew 21, verse seven. It says, they brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. So just, let me set the stage. Jesus has sent his disciples ahead. He says, hey, go, you're gonna find this donkey, bring it to me and we're gonna go into the city. So for much of Jesus' earthly ministry, he had found himself on the outskirts of Jerusalem with very few occasions to go into the city. The city was a dangerous place. It was the epicenter of Jewish worship and it was where Jesus was becoming public enemy number one. The religious leaders of the day saw him as a threat. But now, Jesus was ready to make his way to Jerusalem. And then it says famously in verse 8, you remember this piece, right? Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And others cut branches from the trees. That's where we get palms, right? and spread them on the road. This was the welcome for a royal. Verse nine, Jesus was at the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. Man, they are they are celebrating. They are worshiping. Verse 10 says, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? Who is this guy? What is everybody singing and shouting about? What's, what's happening? And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet 
from Nazareth and Galilee. They were, they were worshiping. Now, I know that the worship was imperfect, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment, but, but there's no mistaking that they were worshiping, and I, I just want to rest here on what happens in this place, right? They, the Jewish people, had been looking for a Messiah. They'd been looking for a Savior. They'd been waiting for someone to rescue them. They had been enduring Roman occupation. They weren't their own masters. They occupied the city of Jerusalem with with a semblance of self-governance, but always the Roman overlords were there and they couldn't wait to be rescued. And they had been waiting for generations, generations, for God to send his Messiah, the Savior, to rescue him. And now he was here. And they, they were, they were ready we're about to throw off the Roman overlords, toss off the shackles and be free. Get ready, take up arms. They thought this was their, their moment. And they couldn't help but celebrate, shout, sing, worship. Because that's what worship is. Worship is the declaration I've been rescued. I've been saved. I've been set free. My life has been changed. Good things are coming and we can't. You see, worship is the response of our heart to being rescued. And we don't all worship the same way, but all worship is rooted in the response of the individual's heart who says, I've been set free. I've been rescued. My life has been changed. I met the one who changed everything in Jesus. It's the response to being rescued. Worship is sort of, let me talk about another rule. This is gonna hurt some of you. Worship is kind of like a blinker. You all have one, but some of you don't know that you have it. <laughs> right, you've got a blinker on your car right and worship is like the it's like the blinker you're going down the highway and you you saw your exit and that's where i get off that's my exit that's my rescue that's my way of going that's the way to the place i want to be and you put on the blinker to get off the you're declaring that's my rescue that's my way now we don't all put our blinkers on the same way is that true some of you have never put on your blinker. I've got a separate sermon for that. I just couldn't fit it in here. But, but some of you have a polite blinker. Like, like you're, you're, you're rolling down the road and you put your blinker on and you look and you look again and you look again and then you slide over a lane and, and you, you put your blinker on, you keep it on because you want to go over another lane and you wait and, and it takes you like, like five or 10 minutes, but you're polite. You got there in a natural, you know, orderly fashion. Now, now here's what that's like. Some of you grew up in, in a Christian home. You, you grew up and mom and dad just invested the word of God in you, who God was, who Jesus was. They had you in Kidstown. They had you in Park. They put you in youth group. They wanted to invest the word of God. And so you knew those stories from your youngest age. And then there came a point where the story started to make sense at a personal level. And you made a personal decision. It was like you took one step and then you took another step and then you took another step and you were just moving over the lanes, lane by lane 
lane by lane, and there was a moment where you crossed over and that faith became yours, and you, you celebrated it in baptism, and it was a beautiful story. That's like the orderly blinker, look, blinker, look, blinker, look. That's how a lot, that's a lot, that's my story. That's not everybody's story. Some of you, you were going 100 miles an hour down the road. You were like a bat out of you know where, and nobody was gonna stop you, and you were on your way to an accident, and everyone around you knew it. And then you saw an exit, and you met Jesus, and you just decided, like, I gotta get off, and the blinker barely came on. You just, like, hit the blinker and crossed three lanes of traffic all at the same time and dove off the exit. And your salvation story is radical because you were going 100 miles an hour and you flipped off the exit and you're like, I, bar I barely made it. I almost died. You should have seen what happened. And honestly, a lot of people who grew up like me, we envy your story because it sounds so amazing. Like three lanes of traffic, went over the median, bounced down the thing, flipped the car three times, stayed alive, met Jesus in heaven somewhere. And man, you're just like, whoa. And you know what? You love telling people the story just like I love telling people the story because it's worship. It's a declaration of being rescued. That's what worship, that's why I love baptism, man, because baptism, you get to see it come out. Like some people, they go in and they're like, they're, they're crying and you know, it's just, it's, just, it's just a quiet, sober moment and other people, you're just like, you're, you're pure, you're, you, your family came off the Mayflower. You have zero emotion. You're just like, thank you. Some of you come up out of the water and you're like, we love your picture, because you're like, yes! Like, you're the person. You crossed three lanes, dove off the exit, rolled the car, got out, and checked me out. But it's the same thing. It's worship, right? It's a declaration. They're both declarations that, that sometimes, by the way, uh, this is, uh, and I did this on purpose. We, we haven't done this in four years, but the Sunday after Easter, um, we're having one service all together that Sunday, and we're going to do a baptism. It's going to be a party here, and we're going to do baptism. We haven't done it in the auditorium in four years, so we're going to have it right up here. If you've seen those pictures, we'll give you a chance to sign up if that's the next step for you. But some of you, that's a declaration. Like, and I'm not telling you you've got to come up out of the water like a jumping jack, right? You can, you can do like the, you know, whatever. Like it's because, because the act of baptism is a declaration. It's an act of worship. Because that's what worship is. It's a, it's a declaration to the world around me and to me. I've been rescued. And if you haven't experienced rescue, I'm just gonna say this right now, worship doesn't make any sense to you. It's like, why are these people, what are they so excited about? I don't get it. You sing the songs and you're like, they sang that same verse 47 times, I don't get it. Right, I'm with you. I don't always get that either, but I'm, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? You're like, man, people coming to church, right? you know, like, like somebody driving by this morning and seeing all the cars pulling, they're like, oh, I don't get it. Perfectly good golf day, and they're going to church. You see, worship is a, a, a response to being rescued, and we'll give. Whatever the cost, we're just, we're in, man. we're in. Lord, my life is yours. There's a parallel account of the story of 
the triumphal entry, and I, I want to I read it to you. It's in John chapter 12, and it adds, some, it adds some details. And I think in these details, what it offers us is maybe two ways, and this is where I want to leave you today, two ways that your worship can go deeper. Here's what it says in John chapter 12 and verse 17 about this moment. And what it's doing is John is adding detail that the other authors hadn't always included. And, and this is, if you haven't read all the Gospels, you'll, you'll find that John tends to, <laughs> tends to focus on things the others didn't focus on. And it's like, it's like having four different people watching the same event, and they tell you slightly different variations because different things impress them. So here's what, here's what John says in verse 17 of John chapter 12. He says, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb oh, that's really interesting, raising him from the dead. Because if you go back a chapter in the Gospel of John, you find that that was where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And so John reminds us that this crowd is actually made up of two crowds. There's the people who were coming with with Jesus from the resurrection of Lazarus and making their way towards Jerusalem. And there were all the people in Jerusalem and they're coming out to meet this crowd. And they're like, what is going on? And, and they were telling, it says, and they were telling the others about it. You're like, you're not gonna believe what happened. This guy's the real deal. He's the one. Lazarus was in the tomb, man. He was, he was, he was rotting and, and Jesus called him out. And it says, verse 18, this is the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Like, hey, there's a guy coming that just raised somebody from the dead. You want to go see him? Yes. Like, what? What's everybody going crazy about? There's this guy, Jesus. He might be the one. He might be the Messiah. Now, now here's the thing, right? Jesus... They weren't getting it all right. I'm going to get there in a moment. They weren't getting it all right, but they, but, but they knew Jesus could do stuff nobody else could do. And I'm going to say there's something there that's kind of important. The first reason you may be attracted to Jesus is because of what he can do for you. But the reason you'll stay and worship him is because of who he is. Those are different things. Like the reason that you may come crawling to Jesus and jump across three lanes and down the exit and roll the car is because of what Jesus promises he can do for you. But there's more to him than that. And the longer you look at him, the more you realize about him. And you'll end up worshiping him not because of what he can do for you, but because of who he is. That Jesus was God in the flesh. And when Jesus said, I brought another sign for this, by the way. This one right here. Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, and no one, no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, they, they didn't realize that yet. They were just worshiping Jesus because of what he could do for them. They didn't realize that what was really impressive is who he was. He is the way. Now, let, let's just, can we just agree? This is like a controversial sign. Like Jesus, the way. Because let me, let me show you, I brought this with me. 
A lot, a lot of people want to take this on, they want to change it. Like, Jesus, one of the ways. Right there. I wore, I wore black pants just for that reason today, folks. Man. You, you see, when you, when you encounter Jesus, and Jesus isn't complicated. Like, don't overcomplicate. I'm not saying that the Bible, everything in the Bible is simple. And, you know, there's stuff that's complicated, and we're still trying to figure out how to piece it. Jesus ain't complicated. And it doesn't take a seminary degree. Just, you know what? There's four biographies of Jesus. Pick one. You want a short one? Pick Mark. You want a long one? Pick Matthew, Luke. You want one that just is like, why is he so different than everybody else? Read John. But they're all, they're all amazing stories. And when you're done, you're like, that's Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, I am the way. And that's how we end up worshiping him. And our worship goes deeper. When we know who Jesus is, not just what he can do for me, not just how he makes me feel, but the essence, the divine essence, God in the flesh, the way, not one of the ways, the way to the Father. There's one other piece of this. I want to read you this passage because there's a piece of this that's about cost and what it costs to follow to follow Jesus. Let me, let me read you something it says in John chapter 12, verse 19. Here, here's what 19 says. It says, the Pharisees, this whole story of the Jesus entering into the city. So imagine you've got all the people who are coming with Jesus who just came from Lazarus being raised from the dead and they're coming with Jesus and then all the crowds are coming out and they're like, what is going on? And they're like, this dude just raised Lazarus from the dead and they're telling the story. And on the outskirts, are all of the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And the religious leaders, they, they know about Jesus. This guy, public enemy number one. And they know that people think he is the way, and they are not, they are not happy about it. So here's what it says. The Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. But it turned out, you know, that's not true. I mean, they had gone after Jesus because, because they wanted Jesus to they, they wanted Jesus to, to, to help them overthrow the Romans. They wanted Jesus to be the kind of king they had always dreamed of having. They wanted Jesus to take up arms. They didn't want him to kneel down and wash people's feet. They wanted him to take out the Romans. They didn't want a sacrificial savior. And by the time they realized what was happening, chapter 18, verse 40, the crowds had changed their tune. They shouted back, no, not this man. That would be Jesus. We want Barabbas. You see, they were willing to lay down their, their palm branches, but they weren't willing to lay down their plans. No, 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 no. If you're not giving us what we want, we're not following you. 
If you don't line up with our plan, we're not in. You see, here's the truth. Worship costs something. It costs something. If somebody told you following Jesus was all peaches and sunshine and whatever else they say about it, they lied to you. Because sometimes following Jesus is a, is a sacrifice and it costs us something. I like Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, says about this. He says, if, if the God you're worshiping never challenges or contradicts you, you're probably worshiping a reflection of yourself. Goodness. Because when we, when we worship Jesus, he, he continuously confronts us. He challenges us. He twists us up in knots and says, no, that's not right. I don't want you to live that way. I don't want you to go that way. This is what I want you to do. And oftentimes, the, the act of worship is a life of worship that's willing to, whatever, whatever the cost, I'm in, Jesus, I'm in. My life is yours. Let me show you a picture. Um, uh, put this one on the screen here. My, I got one of these bumper stickers the other day. They're going to they're gonna put this on the screen in the back. On one, two, three. <laughs> Let me try this again. All right, in the back. There it is. There it is. There it is. Anybody else got one of these? My car climbed Mount Washington. I got one of those. We did that the other day. It's, it's terrifying. It really is. It's terrifying. But man, the view from the top. Oh, I mean, just really, just in, incredible. And I guess, I think, when you, I think when you pay your fee to go up, they give you... Uh, they give you one of these bumper stickers, this car, Carl Mike Washington, and you can put it on your car and brag to everybody that your, your, your car made it up Mount Washington. And honestly, you get to the top of Mount Washington and it's, it's impressive. And it's a little terrifying, if we're honest, it is. It's, I mean, you know, that switchback road and going around and gravel and all that stuff. Let me show, let me show you another picture. <laughs> this is a guy that's in my fantasy football league here at Cape Cod Church. Um, his name is Caleb. This winter, on his third attempt, he summited Mount Washington in the winter. Say hi to my friend who's crazy. <laughs> like, what? When I heard that, I'm like, you, like in the, in the, he said, I've tried it. This is the third time I've tried it. Twice I had to turn back. Weather just, it's crazy. And I'm like, uh, wow, that's, all right, so here's my question. If you had a choice of who to talk to and hear their story, whose story do you want to hear, his or mine? <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I didn't get to see what was at the top of the mountain. I did get to see what was at the top of the mountain, and I did it from the safety of my car, but it, he, saw, he saw a lot more. His story is... I mean, goodness. It's not, it's, not a perfect, it's not a perfect illustration, but let me, let me say this. Some of you, your story of following after Jesus is the story of what it cost you. 
Like in order to follow after Jesus, you had to abandon things. You, you just like, you were like, man, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm following Jesus, I've gotta, I, can't, I can't live this way anymore. And you had to change, sometimes you had to change who you spent your time with. Because there, there was a group of people, a crowd, that was just constantly bringing you down the wrong path, and you had to change that. Some of you had to, you had to confront attitudes in your heart that were so ingrained, everybody just thought it was who you were. And in order for you to be a follower of Jesus and for your life to be a life of worship, you had to confront those things in you. And slowly but surely, Jesus began to mold and to shape your life. And your life is like, is like a picture, a picture of what it costs to follow after Jesus. And the truth is, every one of us who's following after Jesus, every one of them, us who wants to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ with our life is going down this path, and we're paying costs. But sometimes we're like, I don't, I, I can't. I'm not willing to do that, and, we, and we're stalled. But worship is a reflection of the rescue we've experienced. And when we see Jesus afresh every time, we're reminded that, man, he is so, so worth it. We may not make it the first time or the second time, but man, we are, we are pursuing after him with everything in our lives, just giving ourselves to him. And sometimes we fall back and sometimes we falter and sometimes we struggle and we don't live up to even what we imagined ourselves to do, but we haven't stopped because there's something about Jesus that draws us to a life of worshiping him with everything we've got. And some, you may just be here today and your life is just sort of, your spiritual life is just sort of stalled out, just sort of stagnant. Because you got to a comfortable level and that was it. Not given anything else. But you're not, you're not reaching the summit of what he made you for. You're not seeing all he has for you. Worship is a good idea. It's where we're most aligned with him. And when we hear him calling to us, it reminds us, man, throw whatever it costs, Jesus, I'm coming after you. And let me, let me, let me add one more thing and then we're gonna close. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. You may be here, and you've been, you've been driving down that road, and you didn't even know you had a blinker. And maybe you're going 100 miles an hour. Maybe you can remember the stories that someone taught you about when you were a kid about Jesus, but you've never, you've never taken that step to make him yours, that step of faith to accept him as your savior, as your rescuer, literally like, I'm getting off this exit. And maybe right now, you're just ready. You're like, I'm putting the blinker on right now. You can just click it right now. Turn it on. Right? You don't have to cut anybody off. And just say, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to give you my life. 
I want to follow you, Jesus. I want you as my Savior. That's what he said he came for. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I don't, I mean, there's so many, hundreds of people in this room, and I don't know all of your stories. And, or what God did to get you to where you're seated right now. But I know how easy it is to get stalled and just sort of stuck. And maybe you just need this moment of reflection just to say, God, I, I'm giving it to you. Whatever it is, whatever it costs to follow you, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. And you just use this moment to do that. But, and maybe you're like, man, I, I've never taken that step to embrace Jesus Christ as my Savior. Maybe you grew up in church. You heard all the stories. Maybe mom and dad took you. You might have even graduated from something. And you know the stories, or maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the stories. It doesn't really matter. Because there's a moment of faith where you realize that's what I need, Jesus Christ, as my Savior, as my rescuer. And you're here this morning because God wants to call you. He wants you to say yes. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, here we go, put on the blinker, say yes to him. It's a prayer of faith. It's, it's a prayer of, of, of confession, of repentance. God, I need your forgiveness. And of faith, Jesus Christ, I believe in you as the one way. And if that's you, then let me just invite you. Let me lead you in a prayer. It's not my, it's not my words though. It's the prayer of faith that comes from your heart that God hears. But trust me, when you pray it, he listens. You might pray a prayer of faith like this. Dear God, I need you as my Savior. Jesus Christ, I believe you are the one way. I believe you died for me so I could be forgiven. And you rose again, proving once and for all who you are. I invite you into my life as my Savior. Help me now to live my life fully for you. In Jesus' name, amen.